more about how you can turn financial losses from the most devastating stock market and economic decline since the 1930s into wealth and prosperity? A successful strategy for dealing with adversity requires a proper diagnosis of the causes and solutions to an underlying problem. By applying rarely taught Austrian economic theories to policies implemented by our policymakers, Jay Taylor has been able to quadruple the value of his model portfolio since 2000, while the stock market has been in the worst bear market in decades. At MiningStocks.com, Jay and his associates provide a framework for turning the pains of the current bear market and recession into investment gains. Jay is a frequent radio and TV guest and speaker at investment conferences where he shares his highly profitable Austrian economic insights at a time when most people are seeing their 401ks become 201ks or worse. He is available to share his rare profit-making insights via radio, TV, and public speaking engagements. To profit from Jay's insights call 718-457-1426 or visit miningstocks.com to subscribe to his profitable newsletters avino silver and gold mines is a low-cost high-grade producer with 27 years of operating experience in 2012 avino resumed production at its historic avino property and plans to be a multi-million ounce silver producer in three years Avino is debt-free, well-funded, and has Sprott as its largest shareholder. Avino recently listed on the NYSE MX Exchange, trading as ASM. Visit Avino online at www.avino.com. That's A-V-I-N-O dot com. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio. Voice America Business Network. All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its hosts are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome back to the second hour of Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I want to thank our sponsors uh, for making this show economically viable. The second hour of today, our sponsors are American Bonanza Gold, Eurasian Minerals, Prophecy Platinum, and Rye Patch Gold. Well, now that we talked uh, to Bob Hoy and... uh, Arch Crawford about uh, some of the effects on the markets. Uh, we want to spend some more, sort of, well, they were sort of more indirect effects on the market. We want to talk uh, to Brent Cook and then later Mickey Fault, uh, two geologists, about uh, some more direct uh, ways and impacts on markets and on, and specifically on the uh, on the mining stocks. Uh, Brent Cook is with us. He's uh, very well known as an exploration analyst. And geologist, he is the author of Exploration Insights. It's a mining and exploration investment letter, and you can check that out by going to explorationsites.com. Exploration 
Insight, uh, I'm sorry, explorationinsights.com. Uh, explorationinsights.com, that's uh, Brent's website, and he has over 25 years of, ex, uh, of experience providing economic and geologic evaluations to major mining companies. Uh, to resource funds and investors. He has worked in over 50 countries on virtually every mineral deposit type uh, from grassroots projects through feasibility studies and bank audits. He was the uh, principal mining and exploration analyst uh, to Global Resource Investments through 2003 where he provided analysis to retail brokers and uh, and to in-house funds. His uh, newsletter selectively covers junior mining and exploration investment opportunities. Welcome, Brent, to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Thank you, Jay. It's a pleasure to be on your show. Good to have you with me. Uh, we just talked to, to Bob Hoy about uh, global warming, and Arch Crawford uh, talked about it briefly as well. Uh, I'll let you weigh in on it as a geoscientist. What, what are your thoughts? Uh, is the We are in a global warming period. There's no doubt about that. But is it man-made or is it something else? Well, I'll step back. I'm, you know, I'm a geologist. I minored in uh, climatology, so I've got that sort of background. But I'm certainly not a climatologist. Mm-hmm. This is a this is a subject that interests me a lot, and I put a lot of time into it. Mm-hmm. And from what I've read and and gather is that most of the data actually does point to the recent rise in temperature and the resultant climate change is a result of increased anthropogenic. CO2. And this is based on peer-reviewed scientific papers in scientific publications. All right, Brent, could you run that term past me again because I'm not sure that I understand what it means and I'm, I'm, maybe some of our listeners don't either. Anthropogenic is just basically man-made or man-caused CO2 emissions. Um, and just, you know, a few data points here. We're putting out in the order of, what was it, 200 and 20, I'm sorry, I should say about 28 billion tons of CO2 into the atmosphere, and that's uh, related to man's activities. That's not related to volcanoes, which is about, call it a tenth of that. Um, and this, and we know this. I can go through this how we know this. this is one angle, and this is brought up by a study of cougar bones in California, actually, mm-hmm. that there's two types of carbon isotopes, if you will, C12 and C13. And one that comes from burning of carbon, the other comes from um, volcanic gases and such. Well, the ratio between those two indicates that the recent, you know, there's been a 30% rise in CO2 over the past, call it uh, 60-odd years. Mm-hmm. It also has, it points out that the carbon, the C12 from the burning of fossil fuels has increased dramatically as well. So we, that's how we know that the increase in CO2 has got to do with uh, hydrocarbons as opposed to volcanic gases and such. Mm. Okay. Does, that, does that make sense? Go ahead, Brent. I, I hope that makes sense. Basically what, what I'm saying is that through studies of all sorts of different um, um, sciences, they all come to sort of the same conclusion that you know the effect of the increase in CO2 is due to um, man's man's activities here on Earth, mostly burning fossil fuels. Well, Brent, how? I mean, I didn't want to spend the the hour talking about this because it's an area that I'm I'm not very very up on. But how do you account then for this huge rise in global warming that occurred during the oh I don't know during from about 
a thousand till thirteen fourteen hundred A.D. Uh, according to what I understand, it was known as the medieval optimum, or a, a period of time when there was an enormous amount of global warming. That Earth's temperatures are much warmer than they are, and they have been any time since then. Well, you see, there's the we're dealing with two different things. I mean, the Earth does change. The Earth's atmosphere changes. A lot of these changes are due to uh, um, ocean current changes, mm-hmm. um, continents actually blocking off ocean currents, mm-hmm. um, a, a number of different factors. And there's no doubt that global warming and cooling have occurred throughout Earth's history. And we can't know exactly what causes each one. What makes this one unique is that, well, there's a number of things, but one is it's happened over such a short period of time you can tie it to the Industrial Revolution, and this what I went just through with the C12 versus the C13 ice, carbon isotopes. And normally, the the carbon, the CO2 increase, is a, a mechanism that happens after the Earth starts warming because it starts warming for whatever reason. The ices, the you know glaciers and whatever melt, and that releases a lot of carbon. This time, we're releasing the carbon before. The ices, the um, the ice pack and, and uh, tundra and such uh, melt or okay. thaw. So it's, it's a different kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Well, this is this is a fascinating topic, and it's it's one that's I'm I'm really out of my element uh, to talk about it. I'm thinking maybe uh, since you have a, a different view than Bob Hoy and some other people, it would be great to have maybe a scientist uh, host this show and have a debate on these issues because they are very important. If on the one hand as Bob suggests, this is a hoax and it's not not true. Uh, then it can be used as a means to take our liberties from us and to get and, and to cause people all manner of fear. Uh, you know, Arch Crawford says, "Follow the money." Goldman Sachs is making a ton of money on it. He's his implications are there. But you know, I don't want to get involved in the, in the emotional side of it. And so I think what you're presenting, Brent, is a scientific approach to it, and that's really what we want to we want to do. We want to focus on the. I mean, maybe the emotional stuff would sell. Uh, sell better in terms of getting more listeners to the show. But what I'd rather like to do is, is find out what the truth is. And uh, you know, in the in the political realm, of course, we're hearing all kinds of uh, you know, nasty allegations from one side to the next. Uh, here at the Republican Party, and Rick Santorum talking about uh, you know the foolishness of, of of the people that are warming, worrying about global warming. But in any event, I, I think this is a topic. Well, I, I want to put aside for now, and I, I just wanted to get your uh, your view of it, Brent. I thank you very much for that. Uh, I think what you're saying, you know, is that it's not that, that you know there are people on both sides of this issue that, that think differently about it, and you have put in a lot of time and a lot of effort in, into understanding this. So I have to respect that. But what I would like to do is get more, uh, get back onto the topic that I had expected to talk to you more about, and that is the mining sector now. Uh, and, you know, how we might profit and make some money in that sector. So I guess, you know, on, on one hand, uh, if we're, uh, y- you know, if life itself is threatened by global warming, then making money in mining doesn't make much difference. But uh, <laughs> on, the, on, on the other hand, I mean, we had um, uh, Ron Paul uh, being told uh, by a CNBC uh, host that, uh, you know, don't worry about your economics, Ron. We've got an asteroid that's going to hit us in 2040. Uh, anyway, so it's not going to make much difference in a few years from now. So. But uh, but in the meantime, you know, short of that kind of catastrophe, we do have to earn a living, put food on the table. So, you you're in exploration. Primarily, your focus is on exploration companies, I believe, Brent. Not so much on production companies. Is that right? 
That's correct. I, for me, the um, I mean, that's basically what I've done my whole uh, career has been involved in evaluating mineral properties, generating ideas, testing targets, and I've also been in the mining side of it. But to me, the you know the the place I see to make the most money in the shortest period of time is that from that stage when a company generates an idea or a property and it's drill tested and we're on to what could be a discovery. I mean, you've participated in a lot of those stocks as well, where a stock can go from 30 cents to three bucks in the order of a month. Those are, that's, that's what I like. I, I, I have fun with those regardless of whether the asteroid is going to hit us or not. <laughs> well, you, certainly that's probably where you're putting your talents to work best too as a, as a geologist. And so are you basically interested in companies at that point in time after they have a, a deposit established or do you look at them even earlier when there's some, maybe some good geophysics or, or geochemistry or something to, to get excited about? I'll go with any stage. So I've spent enough time in the field that I've got, I think I've got a fairly good eye for a property, mineral property, that actually offers the potential of a major discovery. Uh, and that can be with just basic soil sampling, a bit of geophysics, uh, good mapping. In fact, uh, this, this, in last week's letter, we talked about a company that had, you know, just had some surface sampling and interpretation of that data. And I'd actually been on the property, but just based on that little bit of data, I think over the coming year, we're going to see another discovery there. Mm-hmm. Are, do you, are there certain metals that you certain certain metals that you stay away from that you're not interested in just because of the economics? Not per se. I mean, I, I would say I spend at least half my time on gold and, and maybe precious metals. The rest on base. A bit of time on uranium. Um, I didn't really get heavily involved into the rare earths, although I understand them. Um, so I stick pretty much with, you know, big, big commodities type, uh, metals. And I think that's the place to work because my, my game plan in all of these is to either identify, you know, identify a property that could be a potential discovery, but more importantly, identify one that's good enough for a major mining company to buy. And they're looking for big precious metal or base metal deposits. Mm-hmm. So. So you wouldn't be interested so much in, let's say, a smaller company that has the prospects of producing forty, fifty, sixty thousand ounces a year, but you know, for ten years or eight years or so, that that doesn't interest you so much as one a junior that might be able to find a mega deposit that is too big for them to put into production, but the likes of a Gold Corp or a or a Newmont or somebody like that would come in and do it. Is that that's what you're looking for? I guess that's that's pretty much what I target. I'm not look at everything, but. You know, building a small mine is a lot of work, a lot of headaches, and mining is a tough, tough business. And everything can go wrong in a big mine, can go wrong in a small mine, mm-hmm. except you haven't got the, you know, the cash or the life, life, you know, mine life to fix that. So that's kind of why I avoid small deposits. Mm-hmm. Well, you need the cash, and you got uh, ongoing capital needs from from projects that are in production. Uh, there is a um, sandstorm. Uh, gold is a company that uh, that I've liked a lot. Do you have any thoughts about that one? I do. That's that's actually an interesting model. And what they've done is, you know, bought or agreed to buy so much gold or silver at a certain price once production brings, and that price is like three to four hundred dollars an ounce mm-hmm. uh, from the company. So as long as the mine stays, the mine works. Sandstorm's got a great business model, and they got no per se risk 
to uh, you know mining risk as long mm-hmm. as the mine keeps operating, and they just get the gold. So it's it's a pretty smart model. Yeah, it certainly did work well for uh, silver wheat in the silver field, and Sandstorm is uh, what I considered my top pick for this year, and so far it's working really well, but it's that sustaining capital they don't have to put in. And one of the things that I like about them, also, Brent, you can tell me whether you agree with this or not, but I think they do their homework pretty well, and they also see a lot of exploration or upside growth potential, either in mine life or in terms of uh, ramping up production. Is that something that they, they usually look at? I would think they would have to. I mean, anything you're buying these days, particularly your gold mine, you're probably not going to be paying um, a bargain basement price. So what you had to look at is, okay, I can buy X number of ounces for this much, but how much more is this company going to find over the next 10 years? Mm-hmm. And that exploration upside is is really crucial in evaluating a, uh, a company or a property or a royalty stream. Yeah. I mean, it's really cool because these guys can buy, say, lock in a 400 or maybe even $500 gold price, 300 to 500 something like that, which is sort of the cost of production at the time the feasibility study is done. Then for the life of the mine, they get to keep buying a certain percentage of that mine's production at that price. And then, uh, you know, if the gold price keeps rising, well, they, they do very well. Their costs aren't going up, but the mining, price, the mining costs may be going up beyond that level. Would you expect that's the case? Certainly. I mean, you know, the, the only risk I see with this model is if the mining company's costs are, call it, uh, $1,400 an ounce, mm-hmm. and they're selling this gold to Sandstorm for $400 an ounce, they're losing money on that transaction. Mm-hmm. So that trend, you know, it, it can't get to be too big a loss or the company's got got issues. Right, exactly right. Well, anyway, it's a, for Sandstorm, as long as the, the projects are operating, you uh, it works out very well. You... Uh, are known, Brent. You have a reputation. I'm sure you're aware of this as a as a tough guy to please in the mining sector. You are very selective in the companies that you tell your subscribers about. And before we go any further, perhaps I'll give you a chance to tell our listeners what your website is, so they can check out your work. What, where can people keep up with what you're doing? Uh, my website is explorationinsights.com. Um, you can Google my name and find a number of things I've done there. Uh, there's a few YouTube videos up that sort of thing but my website's the best place to get information what i you know what i do is i write an investment letter that's essentially about what i'm doing with my money in the mineral sector um mostly the junior side of things and how i make my money is only through subscriptions and what i make or lose on those investments i don't get paid by anybody to say anything mm-hmm. so you're uh, basically you're putting your money where your mouth is you're putting yes. your mouth where your money is that always seems like the you know, most honest advice you can get from someone is, you know, where are you putting your money? Sure. It's awful easy to say buy this or buy that if you don't put your own money into it. Um, okay, so, but you have this reputation of being a, a tough guy to please. What are you looking for in a mining project if you're investing, you know, rather than in a, in a say, a sandstorm or a project generator model? What are you looking for in a specific stock, a specific project uh, what, what let's say, what fatal flaws do you look for to rule out projects? Maybe that's a better way to approach it. Yeah, you know that's a good a good term, that fatal flaws, because you know my exploration is a very very high risk endeavor. Um, just straight across odds, the odds of finding a four million plus ounce ore deposit are about one in ten thousand. Mm-hmm. Now you can you can cut those odds down quite a bit, but basically the odds are really low, and the reason is because. Uh, Mother Nature has scattered geochemical or geophysical anomalies 
all over the world. And basically, they just represent, you know, the Earth's evolution as a volcano forms and dies. It leaves geochemical anomalies, and very few of those are going to be uh, economic ore deposits. So the most important thing, I think, in what I do is identify a project that might have the potential to be an economic deposit. I, I look for big ones. I, I think you couldn't look for something. It ought to be something big, something that a major mining company is going to buy, and then look for the fatal flaw. Because I know that 95% of the stocks that start up that you know appreci- appreciating price curve are going to end down to the bottom again. I need to find out what's wrong, be it metallurgy, uh, depth, uh, political, social, all those sorts of things. But for just a you know your investor, the first thing is of course management. Um, you want honest management who tend to make a lot of money if you do. Uh, second is the property. Has it got the potential to produce a deposit that's worth the risk of, of uh, the exploration? Those are the two main things I look at. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, of course, cash, share structure, exit strategy, that sort of thing. Yeah, well, good management will take care of a lot of those issues as well. But you're looking for skin in the game then, I guess, right? I think that's important. Um, if someone's you know, incentivized with uh, a large block of shares, then they're going to do everything they can to make this thing work. Mm-hmm. You, um, we've had, of course, a lot of dishonesty in this business. We think back to Briex uh, some time ago, and then in comes the uh, 43101 regulations out of Canada. Do you think the, the NI 43101 has eliminated that sort of risk? Um, it certainly helped uh, the industry, and it's helped people like myself who you know, investigate these things because I can go to a report and I can see what's been done, mm-hmm. what's been done historically, what's been done up today. And, you know, there's a big range of quality in these reports, but it certainly helped. But in terms of getting, you know, the fraud out of this industry, that'll never happen. It's just, mm-hmm. and it's got to do with, you know, it's, this is a really high-risk, high-potential profit sector. There's a lot of greed in it. And geology is such a inexact science that no one's really, you know, you can't say for certain what's under the earth. You can have right. ideas, and everybody's got different ideas. There's a lot of room to, let's say, blow up expectations mm-hmm. based on real hypothetical um, scientific theses. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but then uh, then the truth machines come into the picture, the drill the drill. Um the drill core comes out of the earth and you start to learn a bit more and I guess you put piece by piece you put it together and as time goes on the uh, the puzzle starts to get filled in the jigsaw puzzle gets to filled in gets to be filled in and uh, your probability of, of success uh, either increases or decreases as time goes on right yeah that's a good point and the other thing you know we're talking about screens if you will on looking at these companies that I think is real important when a company puts out a news release with drill holes there should be a map and a cross-section and all the data presented for you. Now, I understand that a lot of people won't understand everything it means, mm-hmm. but it tells you one thing about the company. That is that the company is putting all the data to you. They're, you know, they're being honest with you, and at least you know that much about the company. Whereas if the company just gives you some sporadic scattered drill holes with no data, it kind of tells you one of two things, either they're incompetent or they're hiding something. Mm-hmm. So that's that's a real easy screen anyone can use. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Well, of course, uh, for those of us that may not have the time or energy to 
to put into this, uh, we can always subscribe to an astute uh, investor, analyst, uh, geologist like Brent Cook, and there are others as well. We'll be talking to Mickey Fulp in the, uh, in the last half hour of today's show as well. Brent, I know that you like the um, I know that you like the prospect or project generator model a lot. Maybe for the sake of our listeners who aren't that familiar with mining, could you explain to them what it is and, and why you like it? Yeah, I'd love to, and I think it's a real a real good model, business model in this sector. If given the odds are so low, say one in one thousand or even one in ten thousand, that you know that most of the properties that a company drills or across the board are going to fail. So if you know they're going to fail. It makes a lot more sense to develop them to the stage, to the drill stage, for instance, and then attract another company, a major company, to come in and spend the high-risk dollars testing that target. Um, what that does is it, it saves the prospect generator company's treasury, and it means me or us as investors in this company maintain a higher percentage of what the company really does, which is a you know, idea generative company, so that our dilution at the company level is minimized, yet we dilute at the prospect level, which, you know, the odds are it's not going to work. And what I've seen over time is that eventually, you know, it takes a long time to find a, a deposit, but eventually these types of companies find them, and when they do, as owners in the company, we benefit much more in terms of share price appreciation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, uh, it takes some patience. There's no doubt about that. Uh, there are some that I follow in my newsletter, and I've invested in as well. Do you have a favorite or two you might want to pass along to our to our listeners? Uh, sure. One of them that I'm invested in is called Eurasian Minerals, mm-hmm. um, EMX. I think you know that one. Yeah, I do, and they are a sponsor to the show. We should uh, let people know that. Oh yeah, they're. Uh, I mean, they are they've done an incredible job so far. They've got. I forget how many joint ventures scattered across the world. They're in Turkey, Scandinavia, the Western U.S., Australia, mm-hmm. um, on big type targets, big company making projects that are being worked by major companies. Um, they just secured a, a royalty in Nevada, which is going to give them another seven million dollars a buck, you know, seven million dollars a year. Mm-hmm. So we shouldn't ever see another di- any more dilution to this company. So it's just mm-hmm. going to run on autopilot until this discovery is made. So that's one. Um, probably another one I like a lot is Lara, L-A-R-A, um, projects in Brazil and Peru. I think they've got nine projects being worked by other companies, uh, tiny market cap with enough cash to get through two to two, two years plus, depending on what sort of royalties they got coming in from an iron ore and nickel deposit in Brazil. Hmm. Well, that's one I'm certainly going to have to check out. I think I've heard about it and haven't followed up on it. Eurasia is certainly one I do know well. And one of the things I like about Eurasia, too, is that, uh, as you pointed out, they have big projects, big mining companies that are in there, and those guys wouldn't be in there unless they saw some prospect of a, of a really large large deposits. I think Eurasia is also copper as well as gold probably targets, right? That's correct. Yeah. Um, well, we only have uh, a couple of minutes left. Um, do you, so do you do you have any anything else you think you'd like to tell our listeners before oh, oh I wanted to ask you about uranium before we mm-hmm. get to that what about uranium you, what what's your what are your what's your outlook for uranium after the uh, you know the Japanese disaster of a couple of years ago is there any is there any hope for that industry well this circles us back around to our global warming uh, topic mm-hmm. uh, uranium is you know the cleanest 
fuel we can burn. And I think there's no getting around that we're going to continue to see nuclear plants built around the world. Um, so there is a future for uranium. Uh, uranium stocks, if I was to invest in one, it would be a company that's got a deposit outlined, feasibility on it, or is even in production. I would stay in that that sector, if you will, that part of the uh, business. Mm-hmm. Any names you'd care to share with us in that regard? <clears throat> Offhand, I cannot think of any. I'm okay, well, we might remind our listeners that Brent Cook is... Uh, is a very selective investor. He doesn't just pick names out of hats or, or throw darts. He uh, does his homework. So I'm sure if there was one that you really liked really, really much right now, you would you would, you would know what it is and you could tell us. So, but anyway, Brent, we are uh, just about out of time. Is there anything else you might want to share with our listeners before we conclude our discussion for today? I think, you know, if you're looking at investing in the junior mining sector, and you're not a geologist or a mining manager or something like that, it's, it is real important to get good sound advice uh, mm-hmm. from either a broker, a newsletter writer, or a brother in the business, because it's a tough business, but it can be extremely profitable. And to a large degree, you just got to know more than the average guy to mm-hmm. get high in the sector. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that's, that's sound advice, and uh, we would, again, uh, to let our listeners know where they can uh, latch on to your work, again, give them give our listeners your, uh, your website once more, Brent. Right. I'm at uh, explorationinsights.com. Uh, there's lots of free information there and, and such that I'm happy to happy to provide information to anyone interested. Excellent. Well, thank you very much, Brent, for being with us. Uh, we'll have to have you back again and maybe try to, to squeeze a couple more picks out of you sometime in the future. Well, thank you very much. <laughs> Folks, don't go away. We're going to have a commercial break, and when we come back, we're going to talk to another geologist, investor, newsletter writer, Mickey Falk. Don't go away. We'll be right back. America Business Network, the bottom line in business. American Bonanza Gold's Copperstone Project, located in Arizona, is on track for a fourth quarter 2011 mine and startup process with the goal of achieving full production by the end of the year 2011. American Bonanza is fully funded and permitted with no debit or hedge. The company has a clear strategy to create a highly profitable, mid-tier gold-producing company beginning in fourth quarter 2011. Join the current gold bull market. Be a part of a new gold producer in 2011. American Bonanza Gold Corp. Visit the website at American bonanza.com for more exciting information don't miss this great opportunity American Manganese Incorporated controls the largest deposit of manganese in the southwest United States, and their 43101 preliminary economic evaluation includes the potential to be the lowest cost producer of electrolytic manganese in the world. A National Instrument 43101 report of 13.8 billion pounds of indicated and 3.5 billion pounds inferred. Go to www.americanmanganeseinc.com. Rypatch Gold Corp. is an exploration company seeking to build a sizable inventory of gold and silver resource assets in mining-friendly Nevada, the world's fourth richest gold region. This well-funded company now has 1.2 million ounces of gold and gold equivalent in the measured and indicated category, plus 2.7 million ounces of gold and gold equivalent in the inferred category, with ongoing drilling to achieve a goal of 10 million ounces of gold. For more info on RPM, please visit our website at www. Www.rypatchgold.com
Ladies and gentlemen, the reality is that exploration for mineral deposits is risky business, though the rewards for shareholders can be enormous. At Millrock Resources, we don't believe in risking your investment on a treasure hunt. We believe in leveraging shareholder capital to generate projects and partnering with mining giants such as Kinross, Ballet, Inmet, and Tech to fund our exploration in the mining-friendly states of Alaska and Arizona. By utilizing this business model, Millrock Resources increases the potential of finding economic gold and copper deposits and maximizing shareholder wealth. For more information, please visit us at www.millrockresources.com or find us on the TSX Venture under MRO. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me Mickey Falp, uh, Michael S. Mickey Falp. Mickey's his nickname. Uh, everybody knows him as Mickey. Uh, he is a certified professional geologist uh, with a bachelor's of science in, uh, that is in earth sciences uh, with honors from the University of Tulsa and um, a master's degree in science from uh, in, in geology from the University of New Mexico has over 30 years of experience as an exploration geologist, uh, really uh, really in the process of searching for economic deposits, both in base metals and precious metals, also coal, uranium, oil, and gas, and water, um, one of the most precious things of all, of course, water, in North America and South America, as well as Europe and Asia. So he's really had uh, quite a background. Mickey has worked uh, for junior explorers, major mining companies, and investors as a consulting economic geologist specializing in geological mapping, property evaluation, and business development. From 2003 to 2006, uh, Mickey made four outcrop ore discoveries in Peru, Nevada, Chile, and British Columbia. He is well-known and highly respected throughout the mining community for his ongoing work as an analyst, writer, and speaker. Uh, His investment criteria is to choose companies that have a strong chance of doubling in share price in 12 months or less. Uh, and you can follow his work um, and sign up for his newsletter uh, at mercenarygeologist.com. That's mercenarygeologist.com. Welcome, Mickey, to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Thanks a lot, Jay. We, uh, I have to ask you, Mickey, because we've had now talked to Arch Crawford, Bob Hoy, and Brent Cook about global warming. Any thoughts before we launch into what we really want to talk about, exploration and, and uh, uh, mining exploration companies? Well, certainly, uh, there's no doubt the Earth is warming, although it has cooled over the last couple of years, mainly due to lack of sunspot activity. But the long-term trend is warming. Mm-hmm. Um, the question becomes how much of this is the natural process of the ebb and flow of the Earth's temperature and how much is man-caused. I think that's equivocal. Uh, personally, as a trained geologist, I tend to think that the earth is a very big system and that man can only have a, a small uh, input into uh, its 
characteristics and its function. Therefore, I would say that most of global warming right now is a fact we're coming out of an ice age, and the chances mm-hmm. are we will go into another ice age before we get to the point where uh, we were when the dinosaurs roamed, and that was subtropical swamps over most of the Earth. Yeah. Well, then there's a question we didn't even get to ask uh, Brent or Bob Hoy about, and that is, uh, is it all bad that we have a global uh, warming trend? I mean, it may have some benefits, I suppose, along the way as well. Well, I think it certainly will, uh, but it is what it is, and there's nothing we can do about it, in my opinion, other than try to cut down on greenhouse gases, which is a noble thing to do, but uh, what effect that will have, we don't really know. Uh, But it's uh, if you can't change things, why worry about it? That's kind of my, uh, I, I'm somewhat of a, although I don't have much religion, I probably have as close to a Buddhist philosophy as, as anything. So uh, live and let live. Don't tread on me. I will not tread on you. And uh, we take it as it comes every day. Well, a fatalist uh, uh, opinion or a fatalist attitude, I guess, in, in fact, uh, if you are correct and it's mostly uh, Earth or solar generated um, planetary influence on on what goes on here on earth then um, then you know there's not much we can do about it but i guess that's the reason this is such an important issue is you know to what extent is it man made to what extent it is is it uh, uh you know is it beyond our control and that's certainly something i'm not qualified to to determine and certainly uh, as i was suggesting to brent when he sort of surprised me uh with his view that i wasn't expecting that maybe uh, we should have a scientist come on and have a, a debate on this show uh, who could monitor the discussion. Uh, but anyway, let's get back to, down to something I know a little bit more about, and that is mining and mine exploration, although you are a geologist, so I look to you, Mickey, for some help here today. Uh, you, uh, you, you are mostly involved in exploration. Are you at all concerned or do you invest in companies that are in production? Well, as time goes on, I have increasingly taken on uh, companies, and it's a natural progression of of the business because m- several of the companies I I cover and follow, uh, they started out as uh, explorers, and now they're on the verge of permitting and development and feasibility studies. Mm-hmm. So the natural progression has been that as time goes on, I get more and more involved with miners. Although I generally think the uh, the most upside in the business is with the ex- advanced explorers and perhaps the prospect generators. Mm-hmm. Yeah, indeed, there is sort of a, a curve there, isn't there? You have a, a when the discovery is being made and something comes into focus as as a viable deposit, and an, indeed, if it's a large scale one, then you can see the stock price rise very dramatically for a period of time. After the discovery is made, then you go through several years of Oh, uh, environmental uh, studies and, and feasibility studies and the like, and the, and the share price can sort of meander around sort of sideways. Isn't that right? That's sort well, of a pattern? Yeah, that's exactly right. So there's this so-called dead time when permitting and and feasibility studies, of course, can move a market, but the permitting and all that, which can take quite a, a long time, is not news that that moves the market. So certainly we do see dead times between, uh, say, uh, a measure and indicated resource and then uh, the next material news that could move the market is generally a pre-feasibility study, and that can be a a year or two process. Right, and you said uh, when we introduced you, you're looking for companies that can double within the next 12 months. So I would imagine... 
that gets more difficult once discoveries are made. Well, that's true. So uh, it comes down often with me. There, there are trades and there are investments, and yeah. and the longer term uh, companies that I have picked. Uh, well, generally, I pick companies that that have a good chance of developing an economic mind to begin with. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, oftentimes, I'll have a trading position, and and in those core companies that I that I think really have a good chance, I have what I would term an, uh, an investment position, which is waiting for the big kill, if you will. Mm-hmm. Uh, we talked to Brent Cook about fatal flaws. I know uh, in talking to you in the past, you were a big believer in fatal flaws. Uh, I think it was, uh, uh, it was Rick Rule that said at the PDAC here, he was saying, telling the people he was speaking to that their job is to try to figure out how to eliminate those, I don't know, several hundred companies out there on the floor of the PDAC as quickly as possible and focus mm-hmm. in on the companies that have some real progress, some real promise of success. And so how do you look for fatal flaws, Mickey? What do you look for in a company that would say, I don't want to waste my time on this one. I want to go to something else. Well, let's step, let me step back just a bit and, and second what Rick Rule has said. There are, to my count, and this is not up-to-date information, somewhere around 1,750 to 1,800 active junior resource companies on the venture in the Toronto exchanges. So that's way too many to look at. So it becomes a process of, of quickly eliminating them. And being a geologist, and, you know, from my past association with you, and I'll, I'll give you a little credit, my first job as an analyst started five years ago this week, and it was... Uh, with you doing some analysis on companies you covered. Yes, indeed, um, and I, I didn't realize it was that long ago. <laughs> well, time flies, doesn't it, Jay? You know, I had to go back and look at it five years ago this this week. We, uh-huh. uh, I did. Uh, I was retained by you to look at some of the companies. Uh, that aside, uh, so so we want to eliminate those with fatal flaws as quickly mm-hmm. as it can as we can. And being a geologist, I find the best way to eliminate probably about three-quarters of the company, and let's just call this a top cut, much like a cut on a, on a high-grade gold assay. Mm-hmm. We want to cut out the outliers, and in this case, that's most of the companies. As a geologist, I can look at projects. I have a criteria I use that allows me to uh, to filter out many companies very quickly, and, you know, I know you have... Uh, a significant amount of geological education, uh, and so uh, the deal is we need to look at companies that fit the junior model, and that would be short lead times to development, because uh, an average junior has a lifespan of five to eight years, low capital expenditures, because a, a company by itself, a junior, could maybe raise fifty to a hundred millions dollars, put a mine in production. Not much more than that. Mm-hmm. Uh, we want to look at low-cost producers, and this comes from what everybody in this business who's an analyst or a geologist or a financier knows. You need to be in the lowest quartile uh, of peer production uh, within the, the metal or metals that you produce, so you want to be in a low-cost a low producer. And then a company needs multiple exit strategies because selling to a major, which used to be in previous <laughs> booms, 
was the criteria. Oh, we're going to sell to a major. Well, maybe one out of a hundred or one out of two hundred of the seventeen hundred and fifty juniors will ever achieve that. So by taking a project and looking at the project, I as a geologist can make a very drastic top cut and the idea is to eliminate as many companies as quickly from further consideration. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah, okay, so uh, my engineer is telling me I only have a few more minutes left. Uh, what, what are, maybe we can ask you now, what are, some, what are a couple of your favorites? What um, Let's say in the gold sector, do you have a, a top pick or so you'd like to tell yeah, me? Yeah, I'll give you some top picks, and I'll say, first of all, my favorite deposits are open pit or heap leachal oxide gold deposit, oxide copper deposit, oxide uranium deposits. And so within that, those categories uh, in gold space, uh, perhaps my favorite right now would be a new company called Brazil Resources, B-R-I on the venture a new explorer in Brazil with the same management that's been very successful with a uranium company called Uranium Energy Corp. Mm-hmm. In copper space, my top pick would be Curis Resources, which is an in-situ recovery well field project mm. in the heart of Porphyry Country in southeast Arizona. It's also a Hunter Dickinson company. Mm-hmm. It has no technical risk. The only risk remaining is financing. Well, it's a Hunter Dickinson company, so I don't think that's particularly uh, onerous. And uh, mm-hmm. and it has one more permit before it can be in production. Should produce copper this year. Uh, in uranium space, my favorite is and has been since uh, you and I had an association back in the summer of 2007 would be Strathmore Minerals. Mm-hmm. Well on its way to development of an open pit heat bleachable uranium deposit in the gas hills of Wyoming. Oh, okay. And uh, where do these companies stand, Mickey, with respect to that curve we were talking about in terms of share prices? I I would gather the Brazil resources, which I know something about, mm-hmm. uh, is still early, and so investors might catch a big upswing as as that develops. Is that right? And the copper a company you just talked about sounds like it's more advanced. Yeah, so Brazil Resource uh, is an early company, but uh, they have a stated goal of... Uh, of acquiring through M&A activity in the near future uh, advanced uh, uh, project, gold project, or projects in Brazil. QS is in that somewhat dead zone right now. It trades at about 90 cents or a dollar um, and uh, is likely to have catalysts in the near term with pre-feasibility study and uh, the final permit to go into uh, uh, test production this year. Uh, Strathmore is a uranium development company, again, in permitting and, and a flat stock price for quite a while. You know, Jay, I'm a contrarian, so I generally uh, pick things when they're unloved, unknown, or underva- and undervalued. So uh, I would say that's the, the case with all three of these right now. Mm-hmm. And those that are more advanced, uh, sort of at the flat line, do you see them having... Uh, a lot of growth potential then going forward? Yes, absolutely. And my criteria for picks is always uh, double in 12 months or less. Uh, uh, we uh, have not achieved that with Brazil or Curis, but uh, I picked Strathmore Minerals in probably about two and a half years ago, maybe even three years ago now. It was a 22 cent stock. Mm-hmm. Uh, it went to, if memory serves, a buck fifty eight. 
mm-hmm. pre Fukushima, it currently trades at about fifty cents. Oh well, so that that was a very devastating event. Not bad, not a bad result. We're we're just really out of time, Mickey. Tell our listeners once more where what your website is, so they can follow your work. Yeah, it's uh, mercenarygeologist.com. I also run a uh, a website in Chinese, mercenarygeologist.asia. Uh, the best thing about my website, my newsletter, everything I do is it's free. I run a sponsor-based model. I have to say that uh, the three companies I've named today are uh, paying sponsors of my website, and I am, of course, a dedicated shareholder. Thank you very much, Mickey, for... Uh for your wisdom and passing it along to our listeners. We'll have to have you back again sometime in the not-too-distant future. Don't, folks, don't go away. I'll be right back with some closing thoughts on today's show and also talk about next week's guest. I'll be right back. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. American Bonanza Gold's Copperstone Project, located in Arizona, is on track for a fourth quarter 2011 mine and startup process with the goal of achieving full production by the end of the year 2011. American Bonanza is fully funded and permitted with no debit or hedge. The company has a clear strategy to create a highly profitable, mid-tier gold-producing company beginning in fourth quarter 2011. Join the current gold bull market. Be a part of a new gold producer in 2011. American Bonanza Gold Corp. Visit the website at American bonanza.com for more exciting information don't miss this great opportunity American Manganese Incorporated controls the largest deposit of manganese in the southwest United States, and their 43101 preliminary economic evaluation includes the potential to be the lowest cost producer of electrolytic manganese in the world. A National Instrument 43101 report of 13.8 billion pounds of indicated and 3.5 billion pounds inferred. Go to www.americanmanganeseinc.com. Rypatch Gold Corp. is an exploration company seeking to build a sizable inventory of gold and silver resource assets in mining-friendly Nevada, the world's fourth richest gold region. This well-funded company now has 1.2 million ounces of gold and gold equivalent in the measured and indicated category, plus 2.7 million ounces of gold and gold equivalent in the inferred category, with ongoing drilling to achieve a goal of 10 million ounces of gold. For more info on RPM, please visit our website at www www.rypatchgold.com Ladies and gentlemen, the reality is that exploration for mineral deposits is risky business, though the rewards for shareholders can be enormous. At Millrock Resources, we don't believe in risking your investment on a treasure hunt. We believe in leveraging shareholder capital to generate projects and partnering with mining giants such as Kinross, Ballet, Inmet, and Tech to fund our exploration in the mining-friendly states of Alaska and Arizona. By utilizing this business model, Millrock Resources increases the potential of finding economic gold and copper deposits and maximizing shareholder wealth. For more information, please visit us at www.millrockresources.com or find us on the TSX Venture under MRO. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1 866 472 5790. That's 1 866 472 5790. 
You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, uh, and I uh, want to pass on some closing thoughts on today's show. Certainly um, a very interesting show, different in many ways. We've had uh, discussion on global warming and uh, planetary involvement uh, on Earth's activities, both in the markets as well as uh, the whole issue of global warming. Uh, I was a little bit surprised uh, to hear uh, Brent Cook's remarks. He certainly uh, believes that the, the global warming problem or issue is more man-made uh, than it is uh, natural, and so uh, we would. Uh, it would be really interesting, I think, to have a discussion between Bob Hoy and Brent Cook sometime in the future uh, on this show. Uh, however, I think I would want to have a geoscientist uh, who is open-minded to monitor or to dis- uh, lead that discussion because I don't feel that. I am uh, the right person to do that. So maybe we can do that sometime in the future, although we do want to stay on the markets primarily. And with respect to the markets, uh, if you share my views uh, that less government is better than more government, and that's certainly a view of Ron Paul and other libertarians, uh, Bob Hoy feels that way, and Bob Hoy has talked about uh, the in a very promising way that we are moving into a bull market in common sense, and that uh, and that in fact uh, regulations in the markets uh, they sort of swing back and forth. The pendulum swings back and forth from overregulation uh, to less regulation, and when we run into extremes, the markets sort of dictate a, a move in the other direction. And uh, if that is where your values are, uh, less government rather than more, then um, you like what Bob Hoy is saying. Certainly we've had other people on this show, too, uh, that have shared that view, I think, of uh, primarily uh, Rick Mayberry, who uh, is also of the view uh, that uh, that the markets will ultimately prevail and that we will move towards a more uh, a less government-regulated uh, environment. However, in the meantime, things are uh, definitely, there's going to be some very difficult times. I look at this market, I find it to be a very, very challenging market. I think um, right now that we could be headed for some very difficult times in the equity markets and otherwise as well. There are people like Chen Lin, um, who is my uh, my partner, Chen always comes up with very interesting ways to make money in any kind of market, and he has really come up with an interesting one now, uh, the egg market. And Chen's uh, talking about soaring egg prices, and he names a company in his newsletter, uh, which I don't believe I have and can't remember exactly what it is, but it's one I want to check out because it looks like it could have enormous upside potential. Um, always finding unique ways to make money in every market. There's always possibilities, so Chen Lin has some, some very good ideas. I do think that, though, uh, looking at the, at the market in general, no matter how good a company you pick, if the market is ready for a lot of the air and the inflation that's been pumped into it, uh, if the bubble is about to burst, then no matter what you pick is likely to, to decline in price, and Bob Hoy talked about that. Uh, in the gold share market, Arch Crawford talked about the uh, potential for the uh, gold shares to come down, and he's very bearish. Basically, he's looking at the charts, and the, uh, the gold share markets don't look that promising at, the point, at this point in time. And Arch also talked about some uh, key 
uh, support levels. If they're broken, then uh, perhaps even gold itself could could be in for a, a decline. Certainly that would match the views of Robert Prechter, who's been on this show. Robert Prechter believes that everything will decline relative to the dollar. That's certainly not a view that most people on this show and most gold bugs believe in, but I try to keep an open mind about that, as well as issues like global warming. It's easy to get caught up in the politics of some of these issues. You take your own position, you want to believe what you want to believe, and you don't keep an open mind, but you do that at your own peril. So it's best if we can put away our passions, our ideas. We want to hang on to our values as long as they make sense, but we also want to be realistic about what's going on in this world and how we can best protect ourselves. With respect to that, we are going to be talking next week to Ian McAvity. Ian has talked about, uh, in his latest newsletter, uh, talking about the housing market and really makes a very great case, I think a very sound case, for a much, much lower equity market in the future. Ian is talking about a Dow that could fall to 8,500 to 8,200 in the August to September time frame of this year. So you're not going to want to miss what Ian McAvity has to say. We may also have Dr. John Coleman on with us next week as well. That's all for uh, the time we have for this week. I want to thank Tacey Trump, my senior executive producer, and Justin Jackman, my engineer, for making this show logistically possible. Thanks to each of you for listening, making it the number one show on the Voice America Business Channel. Till next week, goodbye and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel.